Come on, everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you, thank you. Uh, anybody like me, the first thing you need to do when you came to church this morning was repent from all the food you ate on the weekend. Come on, anybody like me? Just say, oh God, here I am, a sinner. Uh, you know, generally, uh, when it comes to Thanksgiving and kind of big days like this, I say, you know, I'm just not going to do, I'm not going to do what I normally do, but uh, come night, I've got to repent again. Uh, man, I just kept, I kept going back to the pie. Kimberly makes uh, homemade apple pie and uh, 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 pumpkin pie, and I was I was staying away from the sweets until I saw that. Come on, somebody! <laughs> and so, uh, man, you know, I thank God for forgiveness. Amen, everybody. Thank God for forgiveness. Hey, we're on a series of lessons this morning, finishing up a three-part series on generosity. If you've been with us, we've kind of been building a case uh, along the Word of God what it says about generosity. And, you know, if we went to the street corner in Chula, downtown San Diego, wherever you live, and ask people what generosity means, everybody would have a different idea. And what's really important, I think, when it comes to anything that we want to find out what anybody means or is thinking about, uh, we need to ask them. Ask the source, right? What do you say about this? What, what do you say about racial tension, uh, African-American people? Uh, don't necessarily go to white people. Uh, what do you say about border security? What do you say about the, the country? Uh, not necessarily us on this side, but maybe, maybe some people in different parts of the world. And so when it comes to asking about generosity, I'm really not concerned what Bill Gates says. I'm not really concerned about what I say, nor pardon me, what you say. I want to hear what God has to say. And so I need to wrap my head around what God has to say about what he wants to do because I've come to the conclusion and we've been finding out that really, the big picture is, when you give your heart to Jesus, He gets everything. He gets the good, the bad, the ugly in, in you and me, and he, and he begins working with us, and He begins changing us, and putting his spirit, He put His Spirit in us, and He begins asking us to renew our minds to what He says, so that we can then begin walking as children of God and enjoying what He wants us to enjoy. And so we're on a series of lessons on generosity. When it comes to generosity, it comes to whether it's money or tithing, if you've heard that word in church, or offerings, or giving to the poor, and being generous. It makes a lot of people nervous, and it makes a lot of people uh, a little bit tense in church. And it's kind of like, honestly, I, I for years put off going to a financial planner because I wasn't so sure about my financial plan. I wasn't sure, so sure of my thinking about money in the end of your life and my life and if I was going to have enough and if I'm going to have enough. And, and so you kind of go into some of those meetings or go into the doctor's meeting or you go into the lawyer's meeting and you go in a little bit nervous, not knowing what's going to be said or what's going to what the outcome is going to be. And so today, listen, I'm going to calm you. Uh, we're just going to talk about the word of God. We're going to look at one scripture. We're going to kick it off in the book of Acts chapter 20. We'll look at that in the second verse 35. We're going to look at two people that came in contact with Jesus. And it's crazy because we're going to find out what happens when we really get in contact with Jesus. And then we're going to find out from a dude named King David, who used to be David that killed Goliath. He became king. And what he did when God asked him to do something amazing to actually build him a house, build him a church, build him a temple in the Old Testament. We're going to find out what he did because it's got great implications for you and me today. Is that all right, everybody? Come on, let me take a deep breath. It's going to be a good Sunday. Come on, go be a good Sunday. Acts 20, verse 35, this is a scripture. We're going to plop right in the middle of the scripture. The Apostle Paul is actually talking to the people at the city of Ephesus. It's still in the modern-day Turkey, this city. It's in ruins, but you can see some of the same buildings or structures that were there a couple thousand years ago. 
Paul's talking to these elders. He's, he's actually telling them, this is the last time y'all going to see me. I'm leaving. I'm going. not going to be probably coming back. He wrote a letter to them later, but he never went back to them. He was going to be in prison, and Paul was later going to be tortured. He was going to be murdered for his faith in Christ. And, and so he, he gets a, a, along with them, and he's telling them, this is the last time you're going to see me. And he's telling them kind of the last will and testament. That I'm telling you something really important here. But in the middle of what he's saying, as he kind of wraps up his dialogue, he says this. Check it out. Acts 20, 35. He's talking to them just like I'm talking to you this morning. And he says, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. How, how many people in the room have ever heard that? It's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, you know, that, that's just a, a normal thing that we say. We, we, we flip it out. We say it to all kinds of people in all kinds of scenarios. And generally, uh, we say it to somebody else. We don't maybe like to hear it ourselves. <laughs> we want you to know this is more blessed to give than to receive. But what is kind of interesting, I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus kind of, you know, Jesus' life is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. We don't have one record of Jesus ever saying this. Matthew doesn't record it. Mark doesn't record it. Luke doesn't record it. John doesn't record it. But Paul says to the people of Ephesus, he says, y'all remember, that's Tennessee, y'all remember that, that what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. What does that mean? Listen to me. Can I tell you what it means? It means that the disciples and the people that follow Jesus evidently heard Jesus, who's God in the body, say this all the time. Said it all the time. And y'all remember what Jesus said? It's more blessed to give than to receive. This was, this was a, a, a cornerstone. This was a cultural issue. This was a foundational issue in Jesus' life. And he wants it to be in your and my life where we continually understand this dynamic spiritual principle. If you will get this, your life is going to make sense and you're going to get to enjoy life to the fullest. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Can you say amen, everybody? Uh, really, giving brings a greater blessing than receiving. Now, that's tough for many of us to understand. We, we want stuff. We need stuff. We have to have stuff to live. You have to have a paycheck. You need, you need housing. You need transportation. You need clothes. You need food. You need air. But Jesus says here, you need to order your life around generosity, that it's better, it's a better blessing to give something to receive a blessing from someone else. We said this last week, that you need and I need to constantly train my heart around generosity. And the reason is just simply because we are all born selfish. We're selfish. We want stuff. We want it for ourselves. We've all got a protectionist uh, uh, mantra about us, if you will, rightfully so. We don't want anybody breaking into our yard, breaking into our car, taking our stuff. We, we, we have security measures on our phones. We have security measures, you know, two times the security things to get into your banking account now. Why? We want to protect what we have. And that's okay, but we have to train our heart to release things that will impact us and hold us bound, which money, even though it can free you, money has a way of binding you. Man. So here's what we said before, and I'll say it again, just look on the screen, is that when you become generous, you will actually give more, you will actually save more, and you will actually consume less. When you become generous, whenever that is, and again, forget the zeros at the end of a check, or what, that doesn't matter. But when I constantly move the needle in my life and become more and more generous, I'm actually going to give more. I'm actually going to save more. I'm actually going to consume less on me. I'm going I'm to realize what I have right now 
is, is okay. It, it's okay. It might, not, it might not be what I want, might not be maybe what I need, but it's okay right now. And I'm going to be able to still, in the middle of need, I'm still going to be able to be a blessing to somebody else and be generous. Can you say amen, everybody? Uh, uh, let me give you three things. Again, this might be something you've never considered, never heard before, but when it comes to money, uh, more money won't generate several things. L listen, more money won't generate, number one, more self-control. More money will not generate more self-control in your life. Where you say like, okay, now I got more money, so now I'll get on a budget. Okay, I've got more money, so now I'll start savings. Now I've got more money, now I'm going I'm to be more disciplined right now. More money won't generate more self-control. On the contrary, more money will probably get you more out of control. If you haven't built guardrails in your life right now. It's statistically, we know this, we, uh, and, and, you know... Uh, I don't want to get into it, but, but the lotto, lucky lotto, right? And so, and so we're after the lottery mentality. And we know 85 to 90% of the people that win the lottery in three years, it's gone. It's gone. People are trying to kill each other. People are trying to steal. And, all kind of, and then and we got crazy stuff going on. Why? Because there's no self-control there. And, and so more money didn't really help anybody. It really wasn't a blessing. It was really a curse. Some more money won't generate more self-control. Number two, more money won't generate more contentment. More contentment. Because what we know is that you need to be content even in your own heart. Contentment is, is inside. I'm content with where I'm at. In the one bedroom, in the one bath, in the 600 square feet. Woo! I'm content with the old car and I'm content. Here I am right now in this situation. I'm content. I want to keep moving. I want to keep increasing, but I'm okay right now. The Apostle Paul says this in Philippians chapter 4, which is a letter to another church called the people at Philippi, the area, the city of Philippi. And he says, I have learned how to be content. It's a learn Do you know contentment is a learned behavior? I have learned how to be content. I can be abased and I can abound. I can, then he says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. Probably y'all have heard that before. I can do all things through Christ. We throw that scripture in all kinds of things. Can I tell you something? It's a being content with what you got right now scripture. That's the context. That's the context. I'm content right now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God is going to strengthen me right now in maybe a constricting situation, but I'm okay right now. You know why? Because I got Jesus in me. Come on, somebody say amen and amen. So more money is not going to generate more self-control. More money is not going to generate more contentment. And more money isn't going to generate more generosity. If I just had more, I'd give more. Jesus says... No, you wouldn't. He said it. I didn't say it. He says, if you're faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. So I want more. I need more. I'm desirous of more. I want God to you know, expand my borders. I want God to enlarge me. I want, I want to be more of a blessing to more and more people. And, and so what do I have to do? I have to build constraints in my life right now, and I have to say, with this $100, God, how can I be generous? With this $1,000, how can I be generous? With this $10,000 a month, how can I be generous? With, with my 401k, or with my stocks and my bonds, and with, 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 with this Christmas bonus, and 
With people in need, what are you asking me? That's what we're asking you to ask him. We never tell anybody what to give. That's crazy. But the Bible constantly would ask me to ask you to ask him. What do you want me to do? Come on, would you just say that out loud? What do you want me to do? Yeah. Told you we're going to look at two different people. So let's look at this first guy. There's a dude named Zacchaeus. He's a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. (laughs) Sunday School 101. Jesus goes to Jericho, and it's crazy when Jesus walks into a city because Jesus is looking for impact everywhere he goes. And it says this in Luke chapter 19, verse 5. Look what it says. When Jesus came by, he's in Jericho. He looks up at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a little guy, and the Bible says he climbed up a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus calls him by name. How many know Jesus knows your name? And he says, Zacchaeus, and he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I love that. I must be a guest in your home today. Ever had a nosy neighbor? Come on, Jesus is a nosy neighbor. I'm coming to your house today, (laughs) right? Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, and he he took Jesus to his house with great excitement and joy. He's happy, uh, but how many know some other people aren't too happy? But the people were displeased, and they said, he's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Jesus was known to hang out with notorious sinners. Aren't you glad you're, nabled, you're named as a notorious sinner? Come on, everybody. That, that's you right there. That's me. We're, we've been sinners, but Jesus came to our house. Meanwhile, verse 8, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord. Check it out. Meanwhile, he stood before the Lord. And look what he says. I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. We don't know anything about what happened. Here Jesus is passing by in in Jericho and and little Zacchaeus climbed up a tree because he wanted to see Jesus because Jesus was like a rock star. You know, he'd never seen him before, heard all about him. So he climbs up a tree. He's a Jewish guy collecting taxes from the Jews. The Romans tolerate Zacchaeus. The Jewish people hate him because he's ripping them off. He's despised by everybody. He's a little, come on, he might have a Napoleon syndrome. He's trying to fight everybody his whole life because he's a small little dude. What? But he climbs up a tree and he comes by and Jesus just sees him and says, I'm going to your house. Jesus goes to his house and then we see what Zacchaeus does. I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I cheated anybody, I'm going to make it up four times. We have no idea what Jesus said to the brother. We have no idea what happened during that discourse. But let me give you four thoughts I think are important with this scripture. Number one, the transformation from being greedy to generous took one encounter with Jesus. Just one encounter. Just one encounter. We have no other record that Jesus ever came back to this brother's house. Of course, we know he never came before this time. And so maybe we're thinking God's going to kind of do something he's not going to do. One encounter with Jesus and your life can be transformed from being a taker to being a giver. A uh, second thing I see with this, uh, with this story is that who Jesus was changed what Zacchaeus had. Who Jesus was, just the presence of Jesus in the presence of Zacchaeus, then changed everything that Zacchaeus had. 
He was no longer looking at his stuff as only his stuff. And what he had done and what he was doing was put under the microscope of the glory and the power of God. And he realized, I need to do something. I need to change. And, and, and I can change. I can change. So who Jesus was just completely changed what Zacchaeus had. The third thing I see that might be hard to say, but is this, that when Jesus really comes to your house, your money will come to his house. When Jesus really comes into your house, you'll realize my time's not mine anymore, solely. My gift and the ability he's given me isn't mine solely. And the energy and the, the strength that he's given in my life isn't just for me to stay fit and do yoga and ride a bike. That now everything in my life, since he's coming to my house, now belongs in his house. And so that includes everything I have. <laughs> When, when, he, when, when I surrendered my life to God in, you know, the middle of July, in the middle of June 1980, when I was 20 years old, and I'd been raised in church all my life, and I, I walked up an aisle at a Baptist church when I was a little kid, and my testimony is I lived like hell for the next 12 years, lived like everybody else, smoked, drank, chased, did everything, crazy lifestyle. But then when he got a hold of me, I, I, I just figured, if I'll give you everything of me, then I have access to everything of yours. It's partnership. You're my father. You love me. You're going to help me. You're going to lead me. You're going to guide me. And so when Jesus really comes to your house, your money will go to his house. Now, no, listen, make no, make no mistake. He's not saying all your money. <laughs> He's just saying when it comes to maybe tithing and offerings and living a generous life, we have an encounter, guys, in the holy word of God of a man who was a thief. And one encounter changed him. And it's written so we could realize when he touches us, he touches everything about us. Amen. Lastly, I see is that Zacchaeus became a new person and his wealth had a new purpose. I became a new person and when Jesus touched me, in fact, Jesus actually finishes the story and says, today salvation has come to this guy's house. He was, a, he was a thief, and then now he, he's a son of God. So the new person, the new change, when I gave my heart to God, again, it, it wasn't just I, I, I want to I get out of hell card. It, it's not I want you to bless me on the earth card. It wasn't I, I just need some health now card. It's like all of me goes to you, and all of you goes to me. So whatever you want to do with my life, do it. Ever how you want to use me, use me. Ever what you want to do with this $4,000 a month, with this $2,000 a month, with this $40,000 a month, it's yours. Help me manage what's yours. And let me keep being generous and seeing your kingdom come and your will be done. Can somebody help me with an amen in the room? Uh, John 6 tells a story about a young boy who, who the Bible says, uh, uh, this guy, this young boy, they, they, they were, Jesus tells the disciples kind of something interesting. He says, um, these 5,000 men plus women and children who have been following me for three days, they're hungry. 
And so he says, y'all give him something to eat. He tells his disciples that. Uh, there's, no, there's no Costco. Come on, we don't get discount food. There's no nothing. There's no shops like that that can feed 5,000 men plus women and children. And the Bible says they start scurrying around trying to find an answer. Uh, but if you read it, it says this. Jesus said this to test them. Test them. So they found a little boy with, you know, five loaves and two fish, and, and he gave it to Jesus. You know the story. Jesus takes it. He offers up prayer to God, and then he just begins breaking it. And, and that, that, that giving of generosity of a little boy fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Do you think the boy ever forgot that the rest of his life? I don't think so. Uh, there's a story of, of, of a widow woman that she was destitute, her and her son over in the book of Kings. And they were, they were getting their last meal together and they were preparing the oil and the flour together. And, and they were, they're getting ready to eat their last meal. The woman's testimony, we're going we're to eat the last meal and we're going to die of starvation. This is it. There's a famine in the land. There's no rain. Everything's dead. This is our last meal. God sends a prophet named Elijah to a woman getting ready to die. And he just simply says, make me a cake first. Make me a cake first. The woman obeyed that word, and the Bible says she and her son ate for the next three years of that famine. How? Just generous. I, I, this, I, I'm going to give you, if I give you this, I'm not sure I got something. That's crazy generosity. There's a story of Elijah's protege named Elisha. After Elijah went to heaven, he's the new prophet in the land. And he would go from town to town, kind of like a circuit preacher, if you will. And he goes to this, this Shunammite, this Shunam town. And there's a woman there who, who just watches the guy regularly come by. And she talk, texts her husband. And she, I didn't say text. She tells her husband. Uh, <laughs> Want to be biblically literate here, right? She tells her husband, right? <laughs> hey, honey, this guy keeps coming by. Let's bring him to the house. Let's feed him. So they start feeding him. They start feeding him. He keeps coming week after week, month after month, comes by. And she tells her husband, hey, this is me paraphrasing. Hey, baby, we got enough. She was a notable woman, the Bible says. Notable woman means she had some well. She had resources. He did too, evidently, the husband. And so she just says, hey, honey, this prophet keeps coming by. Let's take the, let's take the game up a little bit. We got enough room in the house. Let's build, let's build on to the house and let's build a room for the prophet. We'll put a bed and they'll put a table in there. He can rest. He can rest. Her generosity keeps increasing and she's in need her and her husband are getting older they don't have a child so the prophet says to her this time next year you're gonna have a baby listen to me she doesn't hear that word unless she's generous and so here's what we're told to do my four and no more I'm gonna get all I can I'm going to can all I get. I'm going to sit on my can. <laughs> Ain't nobody getting in my can. And you don't know you're going to need a miracle in five years. And hear me. Money ain't buying you a miracle. Generosity is not buying you a miracle. I don't know how all that worked. I'm just saying, there's got to be a connection with this right here, my heart. And saying, okay, you heard Mike Courtney last week. Every year, I want to give more. I'm challenged to give more. Even if we made less in business, I want to give more. 
I want to be more generous. I see a need. I want to help. I want to help with our big year, uh, big you know year-end offering. I want to help the men and women's home down in TJ. I want I want to help the, the next generation down here that we're going to be giving to Spectrum kids. And so I want to stretch. I want to give. I, I want to be. I want to be generous. I want to be generous because I want to see God do something in me and through me. I love this scripture over in the book of Isaiah. Maybe you've never read it before. It's Isaiah chapter 32, verse 8. It says this, A generous man devises generous things, and by generosity he shall stand. I love that scripture. A generous man, a generous woman just devises generous things. And by generosity, they're going to stand. And so you're always just thinking, I- I'm going to be generous. How can I be generous? Like right now, I mean, I don't know about you, but, but like uh, uh, we-, we had Black Friday. Come on, come on, we got Black Friday. Come on, how many know we need, we, need, we, need, we need some help on the weekend after Black Friday? Come on, everybody. We got Black Friday. We got Cyber Monday coming up. We got Giving Tuesday coming up now on, on Tuesday. All kind of things, people trying to. I got more emails this past week from every email place I've ever I've ever done business, they were bombarding me because they wanted me to buy something. They wanted my money. They wanted my pocket. And, and I, I know this is that, is that I know people and, and right now, here, here we are in church and, and we're thinking about Christmas and we're thinking about family and, and, and we're, we're, we're trying to devise generous things. Hopefully you are for those that you love. And so this scripture says that the generous person, the generous man, the generous woman, you're, you're constantly thinking and devising plans to be generous. And by your generosity, you're, you're, you're going to be made, made to stand. Uh, second story I told you I was going to tell you about before we get to King David here real quick was a woman, and she's mentioned, her name's mentioned in John's gospel. She's talked about in Mark, and she's talked about in Matthew. All three gospels talk about her except Luke. Luke doesn't mention this account. And it's an account when Jesus is right before his burial and a, a woman actually comes to, to Jesus in, in, in the place that he's sitting, in, place, in the home that he's at, and she breaks an alabaster jar of ointment. Uh, one translation, one, one of the different guys calls it perfume, very costly, very expensive perfume, and she begins anointing Jesus' head. Now, now what we know about it was that, was that Jesus actually said later in the account that what she did, she did for my burial. It, it's kind of interesting. It's a whole different thing to talk about there. But, but when she broke open that, 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 that very expensive alabaster box of perfume, uh, the scent filled the whole room, the anointing Jesus, and, and here's what it says, the disciples, one guy, Judas evidently started, and it probably spread to a couple others, because they said, why this waste? Why this waste? And they said it could be sold. This, this, this perfume could have been sold for 300 denarii. We'll talk about that in a second. And they began criticizing, criticizing her. Wow. Wow. Uh, we, we, we talked about denarii and, and, and that money worth last week a little bit, but Every account that I've read from the theologians say that 300 denarii was worth about a, a year's salary. Some think that the woman was saving this for her, you know, for, for dowry, uh, but, but others, you know, we don't know exactly why, but, but, but a year's salary. So, so <laughs> wow, would you give Jesus a year's salary? Would you save up and give it to the kingdom of God? The woman did. Pretty generous. Uh, Look on the screen. I think it's important, again, as we kind of think about this story. To some, generosity 
will be equated with waste. It's gone. It's forgotten. It's a loss. It's just gone. You gave, you gave to that, the, 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 that home down there in Tijuana. You gave to kids down there. It's just gone. It's just gone. Um, and it never is. It, it leaves, listen, it leaves your hand, but it never leaves your life. Because anytime you're generous, the scripture says that you're planting seed. And seed always increases. Can you say amen? Uh, second thing I see from the story is that just when it comes to generosity, be careful what you criticize because it will reveal your heart. So when it comes to generosity, Jesus didn't stop her from anointing, breaking a year's salary and anointing him. He just didn't do it. He just, he just was going to be generous. Jesus said this, look on the screen, because here's what Jesus says after the account, after he broke up on the alabaster and the guy started murmuring. Jesus said this, leave her alone. She's done a good work. The poor are always here. I'm not going to be here forever. I'm, I'm bringing all this together. What she did will be remembered forever. So Jesus said all this, leave her alone. She's done a good work. The poor are always here. I'm, I, I'm not going to be here forever. And what she did will be remembered forever. A couple thoughts. The work of generosity is always a good thing. The work of giving generously is just always a good thing. Should I give? Yes. Do you have it on your heart? Has God touched your heart? Yes. But what? I, no, 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 but, no, no what's? Has he touched your heart? Then yes. You have to determine an amount. But I never have to determine if I'm supposed to. Second, I think it's important when you look at this woman is that certain opportunities for generosity are greater than others. What do you mean? Jesus, King, God in the body. He says this, the poor you're always going to have with you. Me, you're not always going to have with you. There's certain things that you need to do in certain seasons. I, I've talked to people who have had the opportunity to be around their family uh, for extended times of their life, but then also in the last stages of life and maybe did something really extraordinary, out of the blue. Got to take a trip, you know, go somewhere or get together and just do something unusual. And, it cost them a lot of money. They flew somewhere, they went away and celebrated, took the mom and dad, grandparents, whatever it was, and had time and money and resource and energy. And, but nobody ever is sorry they did something in that last opportunity. Because then they died. And you never had another opportunity. Are you saying, Gary, that... I'm never going to have an opportunity to give down to Tijuana again. No, absolutely not. Because you know what we're going to do in 2020? We're going to support those guys every month. Are you saying I'm never going to have an opportunity to give again and get new flooring and stuff and new equipment maybe downstairs with their kids? No, no. But there's opportunities that come in your and my life that I'm convinced we need to buy up the opportunity. I like what it goes on to say that last thought though is that your generosity really lives on because Jesus said this, what she did will be talked about and remembered forever. And here we are 2,000 years later talking about the giving and generosity of this woman. Amazing. Come on. Amazing. 
Amazing. Amazing. I, I told you we were going to look at this last story here in, in the book of uh, Chronicles. We'll look at David. Uh, we looked at Zacchaeus for a bit, looked at this woman. And I love this story again, setting this thing up. We'll read a couple verses here. David's king, right? And he's, he says, God, I want to build you a house. And God says, listen, buddy, uh, you've been a warrior from your youth. You've got blood on your hands. You've been a fighter. You're not going to build me a house. Your son's going to build me a house. What I want you to do is gather all the stuff together. Gather all the resources together so that Solomon, your son, will then build a house for my glory. Here's what it says that David starts talking about this and, and he starts talking to his people. Here, look what it says in Chronicles 29, verse 2 and 3. And now for the house of my God, I've prepared with all my might. Moreover, because I've set my affection on the house of my God, I've given to the house of my God over and above all that I've prepared for the house of my God, my own special treasure of silver and gold. Look what he says in verse, verse 5. Who then is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord? He says, uh, well, what are y'all going to do? You're going to consecrate yourself to God? Then look what he says in verse 9. Then the people rejoice uh, because they had offered willingly, and the, with a loyal heart they offered willingly to the Lord. This, what theologians tell us is that this was the biggest one-time offering ever in the history of the church, <laughs> ever in the Bible. Uh, in today's dollars, they gave like 1.6 to 2.2 billion dollars. David and his mighty men and the whole nation of Israel to build this temple. Of course, numbers, you know, then and today, it's all, it's, it's antiquated. It's not the same. We know that. But it's just this generosity that these guys had that we want to do something amazing for God. We want his kingdom to, to, to last and we want to make an impact in the world. And, and so we're all gonna, we're all gonna be generous. And from this account, I, I, again, I see several things is that, no, number one is that giving to God requires preparation and spiritual strength. David says, I prepared with all my might. I prepared, I, I'm, I'm in this thing and I'm, I'm gonna see what I got and I'm gonna see what I can do. It's like, I don't know about you, but if ever you bought a house, you bought a big thing, or you, you, some of you younger people, maybe for a car, and you're going, oh, okay. What can I do? And I got to look around. I got to figure out what it's going to cost, what the down payment's going to be. And I, I got to look at this. And so David's saying uh, uh, that giving to God is going to require preparation and, and strength. That I, I want to do something meaningful with my life. I want to give to God. David knew God required his best. Secondly, David knew God required his best. He says, I've set my affection on God's house. <laughs> and I'm going to give to God's house. He, David knew it. David knew that an open heart equals an open hand. If God's opened my heart, I'm required to open my hand. David knew that his giving to God was considered a holy act. David calls it consecration. Who's willing to consecrate themselves to God? Come on, now I grew up in church sometime, maybe some of y'all too. That, that consecration was something you did up here at the altar. You come down and you bow down, you just consecrate, rededicate yourself to God. I, I, I'm consecrating myself, I'm, I'm separating myself from the world or contamination of thought or that person or that addiction or I'm, and I'm giving myself to God. That, that David says, my giving was considered a holy act. Holy. In the Old Testament, the Bible would call your tithe holy, separated to God. David said, I understand that. David knew that God tests us concerning generosity and giving. He said that God tests our hearts. He tests our hearts. David knew that generosity, as we said, begins in the heart. We said it over and over all morning. It's not begins in my hand, not what I have. It begins right here in my heart. 
that David did something amazing, the account says, is that David reminded God that the people gave with joy. God, I remind you that all these people brought all these resources for your, your temple with joy. Scripture says in the New Testament, God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. And so the account winds down. I'll read you one more scripture. You listened real good this morning. The account winds down as David's praying this to God. And he says this. In the Message Bible, just part of this scripture, it says this. Keep this generous spirit alive forever in these people always. Can I tell you something? This is my prayer for you. Have you ever done anything? Have you ever given anything that you never want to forget? There's a couple times in my and Kimberly's life that we just gave crazy. Irregardless, and that's not even a word, regardless of what we had left, we were impressed to break open our alabaster jar and just give. Have you ever done that? If you've never done that, maybe, maybe, December 15th would be your time. Maybe. Keep this generous spirit alive forever in these people, always. And keep their hearts firmly, set firmly in you set firmly there's something about my hand and my heart my heart and my hand if it's closed it's just saying my heart's closed if it's open it's saying my heart's open David knew that he embodied that and he says this to his son and give my son Solomon an uncluttered and focused heart so that he can obey what you command and live by your directions and counsel. I don't know about you, but my heart can get cluttered and unfocused really quick. It just gets cluttered with stuff. It, 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 gets, it, it, gets, it gets cluttered with, you know, shopping and thinking and wanting and desiring and and it gets cluttered and all of a sudden generosity and planning and budgeting and giving and living on point and not greedy and thinking about more but managing what I have gets pushed down and down. So my prayer for you as we close out this service is that we would live within our means and that we would be able to give generously in every season of life and we'd be able to be content with what we have and doesn't mean don't look for more doesn't mean don't take the bonus and the raise and, and have increase but now I've got to ask myself what what do you want and you gave me strength and you gave me life and it all belongs to you and I want to be like Zacchaeus and you've come to my life you've come to my house so open house God what are you on what are you asking what's your scripture say and I'm going to obey there can be times in my life 
I can't pass up this opportunity. I got to break open an alabaster jar. Give. I need more self-control and I want to have contentment. And I want to really be generous. I believe everyone does. So I'm going to live by Jesus' words. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So talk to me, Lord. Can you say amen, everybody? Come on, bow your head, close your eyes. Would you do that for a couple seconds? Heavenly Father, we pray today that you talk to all of us in the room we'd make adjustments and we would make decisions today that would not only affect today but affect the trajectory of our life for the rest of our lives I pray for every younger person here Lord God that as we get this key stone in our life right that the rest of our life will forever be changed Help us build within our church, Lord God, just consistently a culture of generosity for those that are hurting and needing here within our church and those outside these walls. That we can impact with generosity a generation, families, a neighborhood. So Father, we pray that we would seek first your kingdom your right standing and you said you're going to add everything that we need so we're not going to be afraid to give we're going to be more afraid to keep so talk to us in this season Lord God about what you want us to do come on right there where your head's bowed your eyes closed just one more second here a few more seconds we always give everyone the right the opportunity I should say, to make a decision. The greatest decision you can ever make is making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. We're not asking you to join the church. That's not what we're talking about. We're not asking you to pray a prayer to kind of like have God, Jesus come into your life and everything else. No, really what we're saying is unclutter your life. He needs to be first place and he's going to come in. He's going to save you and he's going to change you and he's going to work in your life in a way that you just never would imagine. He's a good, good father, as we sang all morning. and he, He's got a great plan for your life. But he never forces his way. In the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, he says, he stands at your heart, stands at the door of your life, and just knocks. And so maybe today you're, you're just sensing that knock. I need to surrender my life. I need to, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need, to, I need a fresh start. I've been doing life my own way, having my own plan, my own agenda. I need God. I need God. If you prayed that prayer maybe before and you've gone your own way and kind of like did your own thing, he's ready to receive you again if you're ready for him. 